listeners, and from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast, Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. Support for WERU also comes from Bruce Parley Incorporated, specializing in custom-built staircases and also fine-finished carpentry on yachts, trolleys, etc. since 1998. In Trenton at 479-4269 or brparley at gmail.com. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. There's our friends, Schooner Fair, piping in boat talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on the internet at WERU.org. G. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And I have a little quick a bit of news from the Boat Talk Virtual Boatyard, where we've started an interesting project. Uh, you probably realize there's a lot of uh, uh, training ships of various sorts going out where people can uh, get an education of all kinds of varieties on, on boats. And at the uh, Boat Talk Virtual Boatyard, we're making a uh, training ship for barbers. <laughs> we're going to call it a clipper ship. I knew there was a fairly elaborate pun going, but I never see him coming. Yeah, it's a hair-raising experience. You have to have a certain kind of mind, Peter. You know, <laughs> so I see. And we're going to start out. We're going to start out high, right? <laughs> well, fortunately, we're going to be getting much more serious with Peter Neal here, who's the uh, the host of World Ocean Radio. Welcome, Peter. It's great to be here. Rusty anchors both. Yeah, and uh, Mike Joyce here this morning, too, uh, eager to uh, have Peter in here. Peter's a fellow WERU volunteer who's gone planetary. I planetary guess it is, yeah. the world around. Yeah, and uh, the feature World Ocean Radio, uh, well-known around here. but it Gets wave reviews. It, oh, man, and, and he has uh, expanded on, on uh, the thing that it started literally here at WERU. And now that's a feature that's shared literally worldwide. It's one of the greatest things about this place, this, this station, is you walk in, you've got a bright idea. Everybody sort of says, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then you go and you do it. And I just wrote uh, and broadcast the 435th edition of World Ocean Radio. Wow. And it's heard on both coasts of Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, uh, around the country – needs to be heard on many, many more stations. So if you, if you know a station manager out there, it's free, so why not? Uh, but it, 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 it's, it just amazes me how, how, it's, how it's grown from this tiny little drop-in moment. Great. 
What a great uh, example of um, what was it—the uh, building block that was uh, cast away—and you plant a seed, and uh, you know you water it, and it will come along. Uh, this resource here. Yeah. That is this community radio station. Well, it is the technology thing, isn't it? I mean, radio yeah. and radio is still one of the best. I mean, audio is so important in mm-hmm. this world of constant visualization. But uh, audio is the people's people's technology, and it and so I can be heard by literally millions recording something in my silly little library in Sedgwick, Maine. And, 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 and it, it's, a, it's a kind of enabling thing that is so truly amazingly democratic and inclusive. It's a, uh, it really astonishes me every day. You can't make 435 of those if you ain't got nothing to talk about. Well, that doesn't seem to be a problem, ask the wife. We uh, were... Alan and I inherited Boat Talk. We weren't smart enough to think it up ourselves. Uh, Maynard Bray and Joel White did it a, a few times originally, but they weren't radio people, and they'd been kind of asked into it. And right. you know, so uh, we ended up with the gig. Um, was panicked to begin with. Uh, Alan, what will, we, what will we talk about in February? And if we run out of stuff to talk about, we're certainly looking at it all wrong. Right. Well, the ocean is this enormously powerful connecting system of, at every level. So you never have a problem uh, talking about the ocean, and the boat is the, is, the, is the key tool for getting from one place to another at almost every, at, in almost every level. So it, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great show. I love listening to it. Um, and it's local, and then it's universal at the same time, which is, which is marvelous. I like to say the uh, uh, planet is mostly water. There's more coming. It's good to be boat people. <laughs> I know? just I just checked uh, yesterday on that big iceberg down in Antarctica. It was about ready to break free. It's still connected by 2.3 miles. It's about ready to jump free any day now. There's a photograph of it that's really quite extraordinary of the way the wind erosion has, has shaped it mm-hmm. uh, as well. And uh, – uh, it appears to be breaking into three smaller pieces, smaller right? Pieces. Do, but smaller is a relative term. And you're, well, I'm reliably <laughs> told by a bunch of other people that's not happening whatsoever, and if it is, it certainly ain't nothing to worry about. What, but uh, the, the breaking of the ice? Oh, the whole ice uh, climate climate thing. You people are uh, cultists, I've right. been told, yes. Right, right. And uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes because uh, we have uh, been trying to talk about climate change pretty regularly on Boat Talk and, and bring the discussion along with something new every day. And we brought Peter along today for something new. But, but Alan, I just mentioned I forgot my uh, this, this and that uh, – a pile of stuff, but you've got a couple to get us going this morning, a couple of things we want to mention on well, top of the program besides the Boat Talk Cruise. Right, the Boat Talk Cruise. Yes, I, um, it's never disappointing. I can I had to say, put it that way, but it was definitely foggy, so uh, the uh, visual effects were pretty limited. But the food was great. The company was great. We had a fine time for three hours. It was, it was quiet. Uh, evening uh, is what I thought, but uh, and it was about the foggiest one ever. But again, didn't really matter, and a uh, good bunch of people, and uh, once again, a uh, beautiful thing for the Allen brothers to lend us their uh, tour boat, Sea Princess. 
um, along with a uh, competent captain there. Yep. CruiseAcadia.com is their website if you'd like to check them out. Yeah. Appreciate um, their business. The uh, boys also own the uh, Wild Fun Park at the top of the island there if your kids are interested in such stuff as go-karts. <laughs> Scaring and, uh, you know, yeah. um, Among other stuff. But, uh, yeah, a great fundraiser for this here radio station and, and just a guaranteed good time for all. Is Again, I can't be ruined by fog, rain, or don't matter a bit. Nope. It was yep. a good time. Yeah. So we had mentioned that. What else you got on your list this morning? Um, two years ago, you brought up a subject of a, a, a treasure ship that had been recently found off of Columbia and uh, supposedly the largest treasure, uh, un, unsalvaged treasure ever found. And, uh, of course, uh, everybody, all the kinds of lawyers jumped into it and making sorts of claims to see who really owns it. turns out now just uh, – a few weeks ago, the uh, Colombian government has been uh, determined to be the, the owners of the uh, treasure ship. Um, it's interesting because it was partially, I think, hard to find, not because uh, usually when a ship sinks, it remains pretty much of a intact uh, body and just goes to the bottom. This ship, the San Jose, was in a naval battle and uh, was a cannonball struck its uh, – powder kegs and the ship blew up oh boy that yeah scattered the gold <laughs> yeah it scattered everything so that's why it's uh kind of hard to find although most of the uh, heavy stuff the gold and gems and would pretty much go straight down but uh so anyway columbia columbia is the winner in the uh, in the gold ship category well once again marine uh, maritime uh, law and marine salvage is very it rewards certain people very highly. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't actually, and and there are uh, uh, many uh, government regulations. Of course, there is on every other reason. Uh, there is the law of salvage, which allows people to make certain kinds of claims, and there's also an international treaty signed by I think 124 countries that protect underwater nautical resources. And so the history of those things uh, is is also part of the value. As an old museum director, I, I need to speak out on this because uh, I have done it many times, including on the National Geographic film on the Atocha. You, 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 you have this inherent conflict. If it's in the sea, I can take it. It belongs to me, and that's a, there's a tradition of salvage that, that 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 underwrites that. There is then also the cultural heritage aspect of it, and they can be they can work together. So some government Governments like the Philippines and the European Union and others have actually worked it out uh, in a way that allows for sharing of the knowledge and the money. Because uh, they don't have the resources to get down there and, and even look at the stuff, let alone do anything. Right, yeah. right, right. And the Titanic, of course, is the greatest the greatest example of them all. Um, Great point, yeah. And, and the money in the Titanic was made out of the exhibits that were traveling around. And it was the Titanic and the dispute over the Titanic that actually triggered the, the international treaty. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I'm reading about a book. Alan gave me a Dead Wake, it's called, uh, oh, the author, I think of his name uh, after I stopped trying to think, but it's about the Lusitania being torpedoed in World War One, and, and the big thing is they didn't think it would go down, mm. um, not even after the Titanic sunk, mm. you know, and it went down in 18 minutes, and yeah. uh, it was kind of a special case, but still... Uh, uh, Nobody thought it would go well, down. Uh, there's a general rule. I think Mike and I probably realize that when you're out and see bad things can happen, 
you, even when you don't plan on it. Well, there's an interesting uh, – the statistics are, are amazing for modern modern marine accidents. Uh, there's a site called gcaptain.com. You might want to take a look at it. And it constantly documents the, the, the catastrophes at sea. And there really is almost one every other day. And these are major accidents. I mean, container ships that simply turn over or disappear. Uh, and so it's just not a lost container that some yacht runs into. It's the whole ship. It might have six, yeah. 800 containers they on it. They brought up the subject of bulk carriers. I'm sure you're aware yeah, of that. that that's, absolutely. It's terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd be afraid to go on one of those boats after reading the G-Captain's reports right, on it. Right, right. And now we're going to talk about crewless vessels. Well, yep. and that will transmit transport the seas at no human risk, and all, uh, you all, know what could go wrong. Already so. out there. Yep, excellent. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on your current day well, list, there, I have Alan? One uh, slightly good news thing: uh, the IMO, the International Marine Organization, the uh, government, the intergovernmental or transgovernmental organization that controls or tries to regulate shipping has uh, made a proposal, and they're trying to enforce a, a ban starting in 2020, uh, banning all heavy fuel oil in Arctic waters. Um, heavy fuel particularly is bad well, because if you happen to get any in the water, it doesn't break down very well and causes quite a bit of long-term environmental damage. But more importantly, especially in the Arctic, the exhaust uh, from ships burning heavy fuel oil makes a black carbon which settles on top of the, any existing ice or snow in the area and causes it to melt much more rapidly. And it's a bad, uh, bad problem for a, an area that's already having too much melting. Right, and, and I think that's, that's part of the new uh, IMO Polar Code. They have just put out a complete new code for the engineering and safety, safety and rescue uh, requirements for ships operating in the Arctic. And it's long, long overdue. Oh, yeah. oh well, uh, ships yeah. operating in the Arctic is, on the other hand, uh, a coming on thing. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, sure, for sure. Yeah, something like cruise ship went through last year and then docked in Bar Harbor. And, right. and an English fellow says, oh, they had to hunt up some ice for us to take pictures of. Well, and the problem with that is is that there's absolutely no way for them to respond to an accident. Oh, yes. There's just no system in place for that ship should there be an accident. And accidents do happen. Uh, it's also true in the in the the northern sea route uh, over the top of Russia. Something like three hundred vessels have gone through this year for the, which is I think the most ever. I'm not quite sure, but the, that is opening up, and of course that shortens the distance and the steaming time from the Pacific to the Atlantic. So there's great interest in 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 this sort of new way of, of, of transiting goods across the top of the earth. Yeah, Peter spoke of the uh, Northwest Passage. Of course, that's at the top of North America, but there's a similar and even uh, easier, more open route across the top of Russia. Well, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, the Northern Sea right. Passage. The, yeah. the, the, the Northwest Passage is not that easy to do. And yachts can go through, sort of, but even they now are sometimes not making all the way through. They park the yacht, they find some way to come home, and they come back. And again, there's no local resources. None. Should you need a loaf of bread, None. some fresh milk, right. or a toe? Right. Uh, no, toe. Know. no sea no toe. toe. Yeah, sea toe, sea toe. <laughs> Can we identify this rock I'm on, please? <laughs> Be a lot of silence there. Yep. Um, hey, uh, like I say, uh, times they are changing, and, and uh, yeah, can't wait to see what happens next. You know, they've been uh, drilling for oil off of Newfoundland. Um, 
they have a few uh, wells already going there. And they did uh, two more test drills on a, a new new area. Well, it's probably the same field, but a different section of the same field. And uh, just reported that those two wells have come up dry. Too bad. Well, actually, uh, a lot of the wells in the Arctic originally came up dry as well, up around Prudhoe Bay and the first ones. And, and it's really interesting, given all the geology studies that, and the money that's spent in terms of analyzing the potential of these fields, they still grow, they still grow up. Uh, they come up dry. And then you have, of course, the, the amazing shell incident where they lost $2 billion on one well trying to, to put it into the Arctic, and they mm-hmm. couldn't even get it there safely. So the conditions out there still are pretty, pretty, pretty difficult. And now in the Gulf, uh, basically now they're they're faced with a problem, Gulf of Mexico, of what to do with the wells that are dry or, uh, you know, are, are not operable anymore. And so there's a whole salvage deconstruction problem of what to do with these abandoned metal structures, which are filled with toxic uh, toxic materials. Hmm. Industrial waste sites. Uh, the time scale is interesting, too. I went to college in Nova Scotia in the mid-'70s, and the tar sands were just coming on, and everybody talked about going out to Fort McMurray, make some money. And so was the uh, exploratory thing going on in Newfoundland. Yeah. And some of my friends uh, wrote a play about it called Some Slick, which was uh, <laughs> quite... Uh, a good piece Great of Newfoundland uh, social history, yeah. And, uh, yeah, some slick. Uh, uh, um, so anyway, and they're still working on it, and, and it doesn't happen overnight either is, is part yeah. of that message. It comes to mind that we uh, – and I forgot to mention saying that it was a call-in show. I didn't give the phone number. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. if you'd like to join the conversation. And uh, also we're taking uh, emails too at boattalk at gmail.com. If you'd rather do an email, that's fine. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. 625 Well, let's, let's uh, treat Peter like a regular guest here. Uh, again, fellow uh, uh, WERU uh, uh, commentator and volunteer here, uh, World Ocean Radio host. Peter, uh where you come from, what you do, you mentioned uh, museum curating back in there. Well, I was president of South Street Seaport Museum down in New York for 20 years, so I've been in the maritime heritage business and was chairman of Ocean Classroom for a while. And, and so I've been involved in sea education, maritime history. And when I left New York, I started this uh, uh, organization called the World Ocean Observatory, which is a virtual site about the ocean and uh, defined as an integrated global social system. So it it talks about the ocean in all these many ways. So worldoceanobservatory.org, take a look, you'll – it's as wide and deep and dynamic as the ocean itself. (laughs) I'd like to come back to the South uh, Street Seaport in a minute, but phone rang. Yep, we do have a call from our friend Ivor out on Swans Island. Hello, Ivor. Hi. What's up? I was just wondering, what is the actual amount of sea level rise that we've had so far here in Maine, and how much is expected by, like, 2100? Well, I happen to have that answer right in front of me. It's a uh, good thing one of them other fellows does. Yeah. Um, I called up Maine State Geologist Stephen Dixon, who is a, uh, a friend of Boat Talk, and uh, he referred me to a NOAA website that has the record of Bar Harbor, Maine, and the record shows that they've been keeping track of the tides there since it looks like 1948, right up till now. And uh, it has gone up, um, what did I say? It was 
what was it? Seven point, point, seven, point two meters. Yeah, seven point eight inches. Seven point eight inches in the. Oh. Yeah, and that's in Bar Harbor. So that's that's eight about, inches. Yeah, that's uh, three quarters of a foot. And but it also, wow. as I keep pointing out, especially when our friend Yosarian calls in, um, you got to look at the storm surges too. They keep getting bigger and bigger. Well, I, I think I think the 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 the. the there's so much mis- misinformation. There's so much circular conversation about about it and things like climate climate change, sea level rise, ocean acidification. These things all somehow get uh, 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 conglomerated in a way uh, into some kind of massive generality. But the fact I just want to know because I have a wharf and I kind of was wondering, uh, you know, like a foot is a lot. Well, there is something if you go to the Climate Change Institute uh, on on the which is at the University of Maine, and they yeah. have a they have a site a program there called Climate Reanalyzer, and you can actually go and look at your geography, your topography, and you can essentially they will project the models according to your particular circumstances wow. in Maine. So you can actually go and you want to see what might be the impact of sea level rise at various uh, levels of estimate, right? It will visualize that for you right down into the inlet that you're in or where your dock is located. And then when you add on that, you, what Mike mentions, you have the incident of increased extreme weather. You then have wind and wave uh, and storm surge, uh, which are increasing uh, not only in the number of storms but in the intensity of the storms. So these are all part and parcel of the answer to the big single question. And it's not the same in every place. It's not the same in every place. But 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 it is essentially as a as a as a as a general phenomenon. It is existing. It exists worldwide. And when people say, "Well, how do you know that?" and "How can you possibly say?" and the scientists are all involved in some kind of weird conspiracy, well, I always go to the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy has something like four or five thousand installations at sea level all over the world. And for the last decade more, they've had an office which has been essentially planning for the relocation, reconstruction, mitigation of sea level rise at every one of their places. They are not climate deniers. They actually have already have plans in place. Uh, and if you want an example of what it where, uh, the urgency of it, go to a high tide storm sh- surge in, in, in Norfolk, Virginia, one of the largest naval bases in the United States, where it is flooded. And so you, you just have to realize uh, and accept that there are changes happening and we need to plan for them. And sometimes oh, we, we can adapt to them, sometimes we can mitigate them, also sometimes we can invent different ways to deal with them. Sure. Well, I'm going to have to build a new... Uh and if it really screws up, then we'll have to, like, jack up the uh, post somehow. And that is not going to be cheap. Um, I hate to say we panicked Ivor, but he's probably got to go, uh, like, say, grab a hammer and a crowbar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for that call, Ivor. Okay, we have another phone caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Yo. In Good morning, Yo. That's what I find so fascinating. I don't know if I misheard, but I seem to think that you have just implied that sea level rise is not equal and constant around the planet. And 
that's the aspect of this conversation that I find so absolutely fascinating. And I wonder if anyone can shed some light on the mechanism by which the sea might rise more at one spot than at another spot. I'm so, hey. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Aren't we talking topography? Might the, the sea uh, level rise be different on one end of the cove than the other? Well, we're, we're talking. We're, we're talking. We're talking topography. We're talking seasonality. We're talking uh, changing storm patterns uh, uh, and, and weather patterns in the upper atmosphere. We're also talking temperature. Temperature is a huge aspect of it. So as the as the sea warms, it actually expands. I was I was surprised to learn that's the single biggest factor correct. in sea level rise right. is expansion. So there's this expansion, volumetric expansion that takes place, and then as that fits into the circumstances of any given place, then sort of exacerbated by all these other circumstances that are out there. Not to mention having built things in places where they shouldn't have been in the first place, the, you, you have a situation that has uh, can be solved by, by a kind of generic understanding, but will have to be addressed specifically in almost every place on Earth. And in practical ways that don't facilitate does not, does too, does not. Again, Monty Python knows that's really not much of an argument. Well, the problem is, the problem is, of course, it's all about money, and and and, and people, rightly so, uh, have been living on the coast in ways that are, for example, uh, where insurance is subsidized by the national taxpayers. We have we have we have you know we have coastal flood insurance, which is paid for by the government out of the ta- out of taxpayer revenues. We don't all live there, and there's always been this debate about why are we why are we insuring. Um, uh, all these people that live on the coast. Well, that's one way of looking at it. You could say we, they. But then when you look at what was paid out of that insurance fund for uh, New Orleans, when New Orleans was flooded in Katrina, it was almost billions of dollars. Hundred, it, may have been, it may have been more than billions of dollars that was paid out. And to the point now where insurance companies are now deciding, in some cases, either not to insure you or to make you address the issue by raising your house, for example, and you see all these houses on coastal areas in the south. On stilts, yes. On stilts. All almost, the yeah, everywhere. Go yeah. Underneath and, and, and go supposed to, and come supposed to, down, supposed to. Uh, and all the rest of it. And, it, and, and so for Sandy, what was it, Sandy uh, Hook, or no, uh, uh, the, the, the storm Sandy, when those places in New York were inundated, the governor of New York came back and said, look, we're, we're not going to, you can't rebuild these houses, and we'll offer a program to actually buy you out. And we'll buy you out, and we will turn that into, um, restore it to the actual protective um, Barrier it was before people began to build turn it back to a marsh. Turn it back to a marsh. <laughs> what a heretic! <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it. I mean, we've destroyed all the mangrove marshes all over the world. Yeah, yeah. they were there for a reason. They're I a filter. Don't know reason. They're a filter. They were a filter yeah. and a kind of a gigantic cushion. sponge and yeah. cushion that mitigated all this this effect. And so now some people sold out. And that land now becomes public. Others refuse to do it. You can't do that. It's an immoral. It's a taking. On and but 
Are they going to be insured? And what are they going to do the next time? Now, are they going to be able to get services, too? That's well, a good so. question. Okay, so we have another phone call. We have a caller from Lawton in Penobscot. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, thank you. You guys have a great show. I guess the big question is, you know, the rapid warming of the Gulf of Maine and I, my personal question is, what about the hydraulics of all that? You know, what what happens to the? Does that change the acidification? And I, I, I guess it does. But you know, the salt, the, the saline content gets stronger than too as it goes back around. How does this this change happen? Affect all that? Well, <laughs> there are many aspects. But let's just take let's just lobstermen for 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 all time have understood the relationship between temperature and, 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 and harvest. And so they, they shift their traps, they move in, they move out, depending on, on the water temperature. And this is true for all species. They basically follow and feed the changing temperatures that then enable the, the, what's in the water column that's all part and parcel of, of, of their life cycle. This will change. It will change as a result of, 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 of temperature increases. So if you want to take a, have a nightmare idea of what lobstering could look like, go look at Long Island Sound. When I lived on Long Island Sound, there were hundreds. It was of full of traps 30 full years traps ago. Here, no, it ain't no, now. Nothing there. Well, there's a few, a couple. Few, a couple of scattered, beds, a few here and there. Bedford, yeah. a, couple of, well, a couple of Same thing, guys, just scattered. But gone. Gone. Uh, and it's moved up the coast. You say it off the coast of Massachusetts. We need to think about it now. We have the benefit of the Gulf of Maine, which is which is deep. It flushes. Uh, there is a there. It, it, it's it, it's large. Uh, and it, it, it can mitigate a lot of these things. It can accommodate a lot of these, 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 these shifts and changes over time, but not all. Then you have something like acidification. Nobody ever really talks about acidification. I think it's the most, most potentially damaging thing of all because we've changed the pH. And when you change the pH, you change basically the life cycle of plants and animals that inhabit that situation. If you change the pH of our food and our air, we would be affected. And so you have acidification, you have persistent organic pollutants, you have all these things which are circulating in the ocean in now highly measurable ways. Okay, we have another phone call. I'm so. sorry, I'll go on <laughs> and on and on. Oh, and again, we've, uh, it's a hard thing to poke because it's just such a big uh, multi-wow. Yeah. But it's big multi-wow, but it's real. Let's uh, stop uh, kidding ourselves. Well, and that's another thing I want to talk about, uh, at least uh, for a minute this morning, too, but we'll get there. We'll go Let's to answer Larry, the phone. Larry first in Bass Harbor. Good morning, Larry. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I'm not sure if this is on topic or not, but I wonder if you wanted to uh, open a brief discussion about Southwest Harbor's town meeting last night considering cruise ships and um, allowing cruise ships into the harbor. Larry, don't know about it. Tell us what happened uh, down southwest last night. Well, the cruise ship that um, went into Northeast Harbor last fall, which uh, resulted in Northeast Harbor taking the position that they weren't going to uh, to let any more ships in, um, they posted uh, the company, parent company posted an itinerary including Bar Harbor. And Bar Harbor has their requisite three ships that day, so they're looking for alternatives. And they've approached a private wharf owner in Southwest uh -huh. Harbor 
to uh, to let to him off let them offload um, at Beals, and um, it's uh, um, an interesting. I think ninety people attended. Uh, lots of uh, a few pros, mostly cons. Um, I'm not really here to express an opinion as much as I was to uh, possibly encourage uh, consideration from your listenership. Um, one uh, little uh, crucial definition to get people the right picture in their minds. This, I believe, is the American Lions cruise ship, which I think, uh, and it's not the same thing as the Caribbean Lions, the big ones. It's a small cruise ship. It, it uh, takes about 100 people. It uh, stops in Belfast, Castine, among other places that I know of. And, again, it's it's on a uh, much reduced scale from the uh, huge ones that, that come I, to Bar Harbor. I, I, I think you're uh, maybe in the wrong there. It's a no? Pearl Line, um, 241 passengers, very high-end, um, you know, with ports of call, Montreal, Halifax. Right. Well, those are places, of course, that are set up with logistical structures to take care of that. Bar Harbor is sort of set up to do it. Um, Portland is now set up to do it. Uh, Southwest is not set up to do it. Northeast Harbor doesn't ever want to be a place that would be set up. So you have you have three or four problems. You have what you know the waste problem, which is always an issue. You have the space that an anchored ship of that size takes up in a in a in a in a in the area, which is fairly heavily trafficked by lobster boats and yachts and all the rest of it. And then you have the land side logistics. So the key to all of these things frequently is just what happens when you bring passengers ashore. So they come, of course, in the launches or the Zodiacs or whatever it is. The buses have to come. So you start looking at the traffic. Well, I just spent some time up on uh, in Acadia just last week. And believe me, there's plenty of traffic. Uh, there are buses running all the time. Cadillac Mountain was a little bit open this year. They didn't have to close it. But the fact is is that there will be a, a sort of some kind of limit as to um, uh, what what the, the the area can actually accommodate and not essentially turn it into a a, a, a parking parking lot. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm for or against it either, but boy, I can tell you there are a lot of problems associated with it, and I know the Beale Dock. And uh, oh boy, that doesn't strike me as the place to go. I would have been, but if they landed Manset, they're not in Southwest on the other side of the harbor. But uh, here's something we brought up on the last boat talk episode: they are building cruise ships like they're going out of style. Right. The industry is expanding. They're going to go somewhere. Those people spend, on the average, I think uh, every time Grandma gets off the boat, she spends $220. And another thing we mentioned is Grandma is not the usual person that comes to Katie National Park or Southwest Harbor. As, when she comes on a cruise ship, she's probably uh, a new visitor, which is kind of the holy grail in tourism. And, you know, it's hard to argue against some of them things. No, it, yes, it is hard, yeah. hard to argue against those things. I wonder about those statistics. I always uh, uh, worry. I mean, restaurants don't thrive because of, of cruise ships coming because they've paid for their food on the ship. So they go back to the ship. 
for the lunch and the dinner. Some some people go out and maybe the higher end crews do it, but they've also paid for their food. Uh, so yes, the t-shirt stores thrive, the small low-end souvenir shops thrive, but then that changes the whole economy of the town, and Bar Harbor is a pretty good example yeah, of like that. Yeah, like I say, Northeast Harbor doesn't even want to be a town with think about it. And so, so you have a choice yeah. here. It's a, you know, you're sitting here negotiating with the devil, and sometimes you can cut a deal, but sometimes it isn't worth it. You, I was thinking honky tonk. You had to say devil. Come on, honky tonk's way better. <laughs> we are doing boat talk this morning. We're more than halfway through it, and uh, the phone number, uh, if you'd like to call too and and join the discussion, which uh, hasn't quite organized itself yet because there's too much of it to uh, focused on, basically. Well, we're touching on it in many different yeah, sort of ways, that's for sure. One the phone thing, number, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. if you'd you. like to join the discussion as well. Yeah, or boattalk at gmail.com for email. Yeah. Um, one thing we talked about last uh, show also uh, related to some cruise ships, not necessarily the one that would like to come to Southwest Harbor, uh, is uh, magic pipes? Remember that discussion? Oh, uh, again, a waste issue. The yeah. uh, the Princess Cruise ship people got caught off of Miami uh, pumping their waste overboard, or actually pumping the waste into the bilge and then pumping it overboard. There's a very variety of uh, schemes for that, but but the boat was built in 2005 with hidden waste pipes and. Pipes can't really be hidden from real plumbers. They're kind of too big, and they're purposeful. So uh, you could just look at them and go, where'd this go? And, and take it apart and say, well, it's got poop in it. And, uh, you know, it's obviously been used. And, uh, you know, it's not a magic pipe. It's a purposeful pipe for, uh, you know. And, again, it does not have to be that way. Well, rules are frequently seem to be. Well, of course they are. It's human human nature, nature, yeah. I give you Volkswagen. Oh, human nature, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, Yeah. just the fact that it will be. Um. Before I don't get a chance to bring it up, because it just kills me so much, and, and um, I point to the uh, uh, power of disinformation, you know, and, you know, uh, besides our political situation, which, you know, could be alleged to be uh, as, as a product of some disinformation, I point to the proof of that as what they have done to science of global warming, and for instance, you can listen to the uh, uh, Bangor Voice Main radio station this afternoon. There is nobody that hates the idea of climate warming worse than Rush Limbaugh. And uh, right. the fellow after him, who is uh, more uh, of a parody, uh, calls him uh, the climate cult. And, right. and they are beside themselves. That is one line. Right. that they cannot uh, cross over and forgive, and it's kind of a power liability thing, it strikes me. Well, I, I, I have to deal with this all the time. I get asked these questions all the time, and I'm not a scientist. I'm just a curious citizen trying to make the best decision and understand the situation as best I can. You have literally thousands of scientists who spent enormous amounts of time doing serious inquiry, data collection, and analysis. And they have come up with a whole series of conclusions and suggestions and and projections which have hard evidence – may be difficult for some people to understand – but are evidenced and have created a kind of general consensus about the fact that the climate is changing. Now, why? And that's the – what happens is 
that you get people who – I have three answers for it. Is First of all, you can deny it. But it's sort of like uh, there's a French philosopher called Pascal. He had this thing called Pascal's Wager about the existence of God. If you didn't believe in the existence of God, you could do whatever your doggone pleased. But what if you were wrong? <laughs> Right, so maybe you might want to hedge your bets, your 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 bets a little bit with the old guy, just so that when the catastrophe came and you're brought to judgment, you have you're 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 somehow prepared. So this is a probability play that we're talking about. We're actually looking at okay, what if you're wrong? What if denial, the people who deny all this science, are wrong? Then the kinds of calls we have to get, which are going to translate into direct negative consequences for all of us, not just me or you or anybody else, that all the consequences will be spread across and we will all suffer from our unwillingness to accept the evidence. That's one thing. Second, second thing is that um, maybe we should stop thinking about it as climate change because that begins to, you know, it's now they're, it's, they're automatic reactions. But, but the, 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 the fact is that there are things that have happened in terms of pollution of our waterways and our, uh, and, and our foods and all the rest of it. And those are also proven to be antagonistic to our health and the survival of our of ourselves and our families. Smoking is one, but there are many, many others. So why would you not react and take advantage of what we can do to heal that or to prevent that? And so you would take steps to 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 to, to go in that direction unless and here are the only two reasons that I can think of is that you have a vested interest. Yep. That somehow, one way or another, you are vested in that way, and we could all be vested in, in any different ways. In our retirement funds, we might, own, might, we might own oil stocks. And that's vested. So we're all vested in some way, just as we've all benefited until that point where the negatives overpower the positives, and we have to start looking at the consequences. So there's vested interest. And the third one, which is the one I think is the most difficult to, to, to deal with, is fear of change. People are afraid of change. And you can see it across the board in almost every political issue that we face today. I don't want it to change. And if you're going to change it, it's a conspiracy. Or it's because we don't know what it's going to be. And yet all these years, we have changed and improved and expanded our knowledge and built better lives for ourselves. And yet we somehow have this undercurrent of resistance and fear that is exacerbated by some folks who just want to shout about it over and over and over again and to call it as some kind of attempt by me to hurt you when it's exactly the opposite. I'm actually trying to do things or advocate for things that would not hurt you and actually would help you. And the, 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 the weirdness of it all is that in some cases, folks on, on that side of the debate don't care about anybody outside of themselves. They, in some cases, don't even care about their children because their children are going to be affected by this. But they certainly don't care about the neighbor down the stream or the neighbor in another state or in the, even a person in another country or culture. 
And so that loss of caring for how we can do things and use science as a tool to 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 essentially counter the things that we have done, admit that there were consequences, and figure out a way, invent our way out of it. That's what we have done in this country for its entire history. You're listening to Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, and that's Peter Neal of World Ocean Radio. We have a, a call back from Yo again, who would like to, I'm sure, discuss uh, the uh, local anomalies. Good morning, Yo. Underline that point, the debate about which way climate is likely to change is still highly contentious, but there is no credible debate about the hazards posed to all life by radionuclides in the sea and plastic nanoparticles and drugs and other chemicals from sewage treatment plants. And frankly, I think that's where environmentalists need to focus their attention because the climate is an enormous mechanism, but we can find the sources of these other pollutants. Thank you again for putting on this program. I think you make a great point, Yo. I think that's a very good point that, that when environmentalism, when it was actually the most successful, was from the 70s on, yeah. when basically it was pollution directed. And that's when all of these things happened. Then it, suddenly it became a kind of cosmic geopolitical issue. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it got tainted because it was an intellectual elites and, and all this kind of thing. And the conservation and environmental movement is aware of that and realizes that they have not been as effective in the messaging as, as they should be. But when you just use that negativity to then take back all the re- regulations and turn back all the effect of the Clean Water Act, which has just happened in the last two weeks, you are going to make enormous retro changes back to ways where we have, have ample evidence that that is not healthy behavior. And so we, 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 we need to understand that every one of these sort of philosophical ideas, if they're, once they're counted, they will have different consequences. And we will go, we're going to go backwards, not forwards. And that is what we have to look about. We have to think about how do we go forward. Maybe there, we can revise the regulations. Maybe we can understand various other things. But the fact is that we can't just lie idle and wish it away. We have uh, the phone off the hook today. We'll we'll go to Hugh in Rockland. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning. How are you? Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I had a comment uh, regarding the Rush Limbaugh phenomena. Um, You know, the the uh, the application of reason to that phenomena is is uh, kind of a false horse, you see. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is a sociopath, and he's hired by sociopaths to disassemble uh, the concept of community within society. And so why would you want to do that? If we all banded together, we would be a threat to those people in power who, uh, you know, wish to have their own way because, you know, the power of numbers and all that. So what you do is you scheme and you use your powers as if you are one of the one, one of the sociopaths that will, you know, maybe define those as maybe some of the one centers, you know. Um, but you, you scheme to to disassemble community. And a whack job idea like there is no community, uh, no global warming or 
Oh, just take your pick of any of the hot-button fake issues that, that have come before us in this last couple of decades, uh, promulgated by, you know, uh, um, crazy radio personalities. I mean, it's not new. Back in the 30s, you know, Father Coughlin was doing the very same thing. You know, um, so that's essentially the nature of my comment, is that we're, we're trying to apply reason to a... A phenomenon that uh, is, is not based on reason, but is based on on um, a particular agenda to uh, distract people from doing what they would like to have happen. I mean, you know, Congress uh, never listens to the, to the people who elect them. Hmm. Uh, it's been statistically shown that that uh, a very tiny percent of the people's will is actually enacted into law. Um, Who's, who's got the power, right? That's well, we do. Thank you. <laughs> we have well, the power. We do, but if we are distracted by these crazy ideas, you know, and we're, we're, we're trying to apply uh, common sense to nonsensical ideas, we're barking up a tree. Well, what we have found is, first of all, they're fewer and fewer. They have huge audiences. There's no getting around that. But, you know, now what are we down to? We're down to a few climate deniers who get enabled by uh, Rush Limbaugh and Hannity and some, some other places like that, which are the nodes of this that, that, that fester and, and force these, these attitudes. That is one part of the communications, the freedom of communications, which we cherish. But we have the ability to make a choice. We can turn Rush off, just like you can turn me off. Uh, but the fact is that 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 if the, the the vast majority in the polls that you see of people around the earth uh, around the earth are actually committed to these things, and the numbers are in the sixties, in the seventies percent. The people that represent the less are in the teens, maybe twenty to twenty-two percent. So the ma- vast majority of people ignore those guys, and every time we pay attention to them, we empower them. So I turn them off and say, I'm just going to overwhelm them with an alternative message. I'm pointing out their their effectiveness and saying that the mice are eating the grain, whether you know they're in there or not, and you ought to know the mice are in there and try to deal with them. I agree. Um, I am mostly fascinated not with what they say, but how they say it. There are methods. There are the whole, uh, you know, uh, it's not me, it's them. Uh, You know, they eat babies. We don't. We love America. You don't. uh, You know, kill the messenger. Uh, It's just absolutely uh, uh, devastating to watch the effectiveness when, again, I read history books and and zoom in on little crap. Never zoom out on a big picture. Right. And I'm telling you what, it's no way to navigate. And, uh, man, so here we are. And, and again, I, I pointed out because of its effectiveness. And, and uh, yeah, like well, you say, you best point, know what's going on. I'm reminded of a Mark Twain quote, you know, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on. And if you, <laughs> if you look at, uh, you know, the, the concept that Edward Bernays, uh, the founder of uh, Propaganda, uh, promulgated. He was a nephew of Freud, by the way. And and uh, if you if you read what he wrote and you study the subsequent uh, application of his philosophy, um, in in determining in, in uh, this, uh, to disseminating propaganda and false information and manipulating the public, uh, you realize that we are up against a machine with a very powerful agenda. Who uses people like 
wrestling ball to wind up folks who, as you earlier mentioned, are afraid of uh, all sorts of things in society. That is, you know, society is complicated, and if you have a fairly simple mind, you're 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 going to be afraid of that. So, Donald Trump gets his his uh, morning briefing from Fox and Friends. Not you know. You know. I, I, and where do they get their meeting? Well, well, you know. Here, here we go. This is exactly the kind of. Uh, uh, isn't it wonderful the WERU listenership that can actually <laughs> quote Freud's nephew about propaganda? It's amazing. It's wonderful. But, but here's the. Th- read up on the guy. I will. The, re- the, the interesting thing about this is, and, I, and people ask me, well, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And my, my, my position is this. Stop obsessing about the, 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 the enemy. Don't ignore them. But the, but the offense, in, the, the, the best defense is the offense. And so what can any single person do? And I say, look, pick one issue. I don't care what it is, but pick one issue in the environment or the social environment or whatever it is that you feel the most and put all of your energy in that. Stop obsessing and wasting energy on the other. Put all your energy into that. So I have mine. Mine is to advocate for the ocean. I do it all day, every day. That's what I do. And as many different uses, as many different tools as is possible. And anybody can actually do that too. And what you see now is this sudden increase in people running for office, sudden increase in people uh, volunteering for agencies that are essentially in place to try to counter these forces. And so it, 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 it has essentially created a kind of wonderful reaction. We have a, a, another phone call. So let's, I'll, uh, I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, thank Hugh. You. We'll go to Mike in Swansville. Thank you for waiting, Mike. Oh, yes, thank you. Good morning. Um, three three things. Oh, one, uh, pollution, the main issue. Two, climate change may be out of our hands. And three, the exploitation of climate science by whatever you want to call it, communism, fascism, globalism, whatever you want to call it. And, like, number one, pollution. I think we were going to have this terrible copper mine about two years ago here in this state, and everybody got together and, like, got it reversed, and they'd never opened up this copper mine up north. And that shows what people can do when they focus on an issue they can do something about, something they can, something they can see, something they can measure, something they actually know is real. They can have a consensus, and they can actually stop pollution in their local area. And I think that's our number one, like, call to activism for anybody is to is to stop it in your local area and secondly climate change okay the i think that there's like a false um a false uh, argument with a straw man going on with the climate and the uh, and the straw man argument is that a person a person who doesn't agree with what what they call anthropogenic climate change or anthropogenic warming a person who questions or doubts that is a quote-unquote climate denier. Anthropogenic climate change, meaning climate change that's happening as a result of human activity purely. Now, I don't question that there is anthropogenic climate change. However, whether or not that is what, that is, what is causing the extreme fluctuations in the weather we're seeing, is it may only be part of it. There, there are also all kinds of indications that there's influences at the... Uh, 
um, cosmic level, like the sun is changing, the intensity of the sun, the sun's activity periods are changing, the maximum solar minimum is changing. Oh, we're going through, we're going, the, we have gone through a series of ice ages, <laughs> we, back and forth. If you look, if you look back, there's nothing we've been able to do about it. The earth has cooled down and ice and, and glaciers were two miles thick over where we sit now only uh, 6,000, 7,000 years ago. It warmed up. Where we're sitting now was all underwater, 1400, 1500 B.C. Right. The whole coast of Maine was underwater, and it only popped up out of the ocean within the memory of the recent memory of mankind. Well, the big ice age in there, Mike, we got to, uh, we're, we're literally running out of time here. And again, we brought that up last time. There's all kinds of different acceptance levels of, of uh, the climate thing from, uh, well, you know. Let, uh, let's, let's just say we can't do something about certain things. Fair enough. But we, if you agree that some of it is anthropogenic and some of it is bad, we can do something about that. There's an example right there. And again, Mike, who's fairly doubting, does allow for, you know, the, and uh, Exxon uh, quite a bit more than that. And again, we're running out of time here. Peter, we haven't even spoken of your book. The, the once in future ocean bestseller taking it by I thought storm. that's <laughs> where I was going to start and, and focus the discussion on we didn't even get to bring it up um, World Ocean Observatory has a wonderful website there's uh, and some ways too much stuff there to look at uh, you know um, there's a lot a lot of uh, very interesting stuff there worldoceanobservatory.com uh, World Ocean Radio is the uh, vocal output of that, uh, which, again, born right here at WERU and now conquering the world. <laughs> here we're we go. Kind of proud of you. Kind of proud of you, Peter, well, thank as, a, you, as, a, as a neighbor, you know, let alone a friend, yes. So that just about wraps up uh, Boat Talk for another week. Thanks to Peter Neal, World Ocean Observatory. Thanks to Amy Brown down in the engine room for uh, keeping the things going well. Thanks to a lively bunch on the other yeah, end of the, uh, you know, good, of the wire here. Good phone calls today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, do, do women ever call into this show? Ha! Huh. Yeah, they do. And uh, they're certainly welcome to. Not too. this morning, but Not yeah, there today. we go. And yeah. uh, again, um, it's a community thing. It, it doesn't work without the feedback loop, as I like to uh, put it, you know. And uh, boy, we poked it this morning and... Uh, and once again, the discussion kind of too big to fit into this little space, and we apologize for that. But, man, uh, glad and proud to have it, you know. Yeah. Stay tuned for Rich Hillsinger next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And all around this uh, warming political world at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for more than 30 years at 16 Lime Rock Street in Camden. GambleAndHunter.com Support 